Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Jared Wilson on how to experience closeness to Jesus, who called himself the friend of sinners. Yeah, that's friendship with Jesus, is you, you can experience it this very, as soon as you, you're done listening to this, you know, open your Bible and, and you're hearing from God, you're hearing from your friend, he's talking to you. Jared Wilson, next. Jared Wilson has a background in pastoral ministry and in teaching on the seminary level. In today's discussion, he'll help us understand what Jesus meant when he called his disciples friends, what it means that he's a friend of sinners, and how we can experience true closeness with him. His new book is titled, Friendship with the Friend of Sinners. Jared teaches at Midwestern Seminary. Jared, tell us about the idea of this book. Uh, the idea for the book has really kind of come about through just my own devotional life. It's kind of an expression of things that I've been working through just as a follower of Jesus myself over the last you know number of years, um, and then have tried to sort of uh, tool around with a little bit in some of my preaching, some of my speaking ministry, um, this idea of what kind of friend Jesus is and what a friend Jesus is to sinners. But it was a number of years ago, a friend, a friend of mine, um, shared with me or or just kind of reminded me of um, um, Exodus chapter 33, where uh, it says, thus the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as one would a friend. And that idea, that that text just really, I mean, it, it gave me goosebumps. It latched into my heart and into my mind. And I'm, you know, uh, I believe as a figure of speech, no one can see the glory of the Lord and live, Right. Um, unless it's a Christophany of some kind, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God, this face-to-face. But the intimacy that it depicts, the closeness, uh, the just the friendship with God that it depicts, um, that just sort of, I don't know, it, it grabbed hold of me and really captivated me. And in, in my own spiritual, um, in my own spiritual disciplines, it began to kind of transform the way I prayed and the way that I read the Bible. Um, really developing, you know, I grew up, Bill, as a lot of a lot of guys in my generation did, um, hearing about this personal relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. That Christianity is is about a personal relationship with Jesus, um, and and it is. And yet, I've just always struggled with relating to to Jesus as a real person. I've always kind of related to Jesus as as an idea, mm-hmm. um, and it was sort of the last several, you know, probably eight, nine, 10 years or so that I've begun to explore what it means actually to be a friend of, of, of Jesus. And you also open the book with a, with a difficult question, uh, and it certainly goes to the whole uh, aspect of friendship, of relationship with, with other people, but certainly with Jesus, and that is, have you ever felt so lonely you could die? And if you t- could talk about the relevance of that question to what you're saying here. Yeah, well, I'm I'm trying to, especially in the beginning of the book, but but really throughout the book, so, sort of set the scene for the problem of friendship that a lot of us face. Um, I, I don't think it's um, limited to one particular demographic, but but one um, area that I uh, examine, at least in, in in one of the chapters, is the epidemic of loneliness among middle-aged men in particular, which is becoming um, a public health crisis. There's even some who have reckoned that it's the deadliest. Uh, thing that middle-aged men face, um, you know, leading to depression, anxiety, and suicide, and those sorts of things. And it, and it has adverse health effects. We weren't made to be alone. 
Um, even introverts like me, um, we were designed to be in community. Um, in, over in Japan, I mentioned this in the book as well, they've uh, devoted governmental positions to addressing the problem of isolation mm-hmm. and loneliness. And that's a very populous country. It's not, you know, um, you know, it's, a, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's densely populated. Uh, so it's not a matter of like, uh, we're always alone. We just feel lonely. Uh, I think COVID has um, exacerbated this as well, coming out of COVID. There's just a lot of us, men, women of all ages, sort of wondering, like, how do I really make friends? How do I know who my real friends are? Some of us came out of the pandemic realizing that, that you know, folks we thought were friends were not friends. Just the extreme politicization and things as well has has contributed to that. So I'm just sort of setting up the the question of, like, how do you know who your friends are? How do you know what friendship is? And the feeling that we all have, which is that we were, you know, made to be in relationship um, and not just on a superficial level. There's the matrix of community in our in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and then even in in the the microcosm of our churches where we don't know everyone. But there's a benefit. There's a um, there's something that's shaping and formative to just being in that community. But then there's also. you know the bosom friend, the Davids and Jonathans of the world, and 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 of course, what I what I dial down to especially is Jesus with his disciples, and John fifteen fifteen kind of opens the the book for me as well because I'm drawing a line from, you know, thus the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as one would a friend to John fifteen fifteen where Jesus says, "I don't call you servants, I call you friends," and I just want to know. What does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? And how does it answer this loneliness problem, especially when I'm alone and friends are hard to come by? He's the friend who never leaves. You know, he's the friend who's unshockable. That's the kind of friend Jesus is. And you said John 15, 15, where he he calls his disciples friends. And just a couple of verses earlier, I I believe he makes the point that that there no greater love. uh, That's right. As a friend. Lay your life down. Yeah. Which is what he did. Of course, That's exactly right. For us. Yeah, there's no greater friend than Jesus, um, and sort of teasing that out is what I'm, you know, seeking to do chapter by chapter in in this book as well. What kind of friend is is Jesus to us? Well, the book is friendship with the friend of sinners, the remarkable possibility of closeness with Christ. My guest is the author uh, Jared Wilson. He's a professor at uh, Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, what does it mean? Uh, you, you mentioned that, where so often you hear Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, and uh, it, it, it sounds like you're saying, well, that's that's sort of true and sort of not. I mean, and it kind of is a relationship, it kind of is a religion. But can you talk about that? And, and uh, it, maybe for some people, that's become kind of like a cliche almost. <laughs> it has, and, and and I would say it's it's actually both. It's fully both. It's uh, you know, it's a religion in the sense that we there are certainly commandments to follow, and there are disciplines, spiritual disciplines, that um, help us to engage in our friendship, in our personal relationship with, with Christ. Um, the New Testament is not antithetical to the word religion. In fact, it's employed in positive ways, right? Pure and undefiled religion, James talks about. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think what what people mean is kind of a religiosity or um, sort of an empty kind of you know ritualistic sort of approach to religion, which which I understand. I mean, you know, that's that's longer than the you know than just having a pithy saying. It's a it's a relationship, <laughs> not a religion. Uh, but I think we tend to fall in one of two ditches, almost on either side of that idea, which is um, some of us pursue 
Christianity as an academic or intellectual exercise. We love to learn more things, mm-hmm. and we need to learn more things. We need to know our Bibles better. We need to know the doctrines of the Christian faith. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds, so that information is the beginning of that. But for uh, you know a great you know uh, you know number of seasons of my life, the, it it, it kind of stopped at the information. It didn't really get into uh, renewal for me. It was just about knowing more, and my you know my Christianity, my fellowship of Christ was just about becoming uh, more and more educated with Bible knowledge. On the other hand, there are those who kind of, you know, they see the danger in that of just becoming some kind of egghead or just, you know, becoming a, a you know, Bible knowledge person without without heart level uh, effect. And they tend to sort of move away from uh, from doctrine and theology and serious sort of study and, and the religion aspect of things, the discipline aspect. And they just sort of feel their way through. Um, you know, through their fellowship of Christ, and and it becomes more about kind of self-centered, uh, almost self-help, a lot of moralism, a lot of inspirational kind of, um, you know, cliches and those sorts of things, kind of just fluffy, what we consider fluffy kind of Christianity. And we can find whole churches that tend to trend one way or the other, kind of dry doctrine or just fluffy kind of, you know, puffy stuff. And what I'm trying to say is um, somewhere uh, um, in rejecting the extremes of both of those is the reality that we have a discipline to follow in in, in Bible reading, in, in Bible study, and in prayer that actually connects us to the very real person of Jesus Christ. The, the error of both of those sort of extremes is very similar, which is they treat, as I said, uh, Jesus as, as an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in a relationship with the idea of Jesus. And I think it's transformative. It, it has been for me to remember that when I'm praying, I'm talking to a real person. And when I'm studying my Bible, I'm hearing from a real person. And when we get into that mode, it, even just you know the the mental shift that's necessary there to see you know the basic stuff of, of spiritual disciplines as a kind of divine dialogue, where I hear from God in His Word and He hears from me in prayer, and now we're having an exchange where I'm talking with my friend. That is really um, well. It, I mean, it it revolutionized my own you know, devotional life. And and my prayer is that it would revolutionize the uh, devotional life of those who read the book as well. So all of those things are drawing near to Jesus, drawing near to God, whether it's yes. prayer, scripture, uh, being, in, being in church, uh, being uh, worshiping, you're with his body, the body of Christ. That's right. And the beauty of this is, um, I know we use language uh, from time to time like I feel far from God, or mm-hmm. I feel distant from God, or I don't hear his voice. And and I want to be sympathetic to that language. I understand the feeling, even the feeling of loneliness. It's echoed in the Bible itself. The psalmists mm-hmm. echo that sort of yep. language. But the reality is, if we're if we are Christians, we could not be closer to Christ than we than we are at every given moment. We are we um, enjoy union with Christ. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. We are hidden with Christ in God, Paul says. And so if that's true, then we can enjoy communion with him, relationship with him. So this means that, that there's good news that when I, when I don't feel close to Christ, it doesn't mean that he is far from me. Um, I, I might be drifting in my lack of discipline or just in my spiritual feelings, 
I don't feel a you know mm -hmm. uh, particularly spiritual or particularly close, but I can know uh, because of what the scripture says uh, that His Spirit uh, has indwelled me, and that I enjoy union with Him, um, which is not uh, um, it doesn't wane. It doesn't. There's no erosion to it. Um, it is an irrevocable reality that I am uh, mystic, you know, spiritually united to Christ. Well, your book goes through various aspects of how Jesus is a friend of us, and I'm wondering if you can talk about, maybe describe, define friendship in Scripture, uh, and even your your own definition, but then also how Jesus is uh, that perfect friend in all of these ways. Yeah, well, we see a lot in the Gospels, of course, the way Jesus came near to those who others would not come near to. Uh, the way Jesus ministered to those who were unclean or untouchable, and even to the the language, the kind of language he used. You know, I think of him calling the woman with the bleeding issue, who religiously and culturally, uh, socially was was a you know an outcast, was unclean, and Jesus calls her daughter. Which, you know, that relational language, mm -hmm. the familial language, um, you know, to call people sons and daughters as he's speaking to them. Um, and, and, you know, I think, um, you know, one of the examples I use um, to talk about the nearness of, of Christ um, is actually an example where um, we see an older brother um, who is, is not drawing near to his, his younger brother in need. And that's, of course, the famous parable of the prodigal son. When, when, you, when we have the you know, prodigal son kind of he's come to the end of himself and he's sitting in that pigsty. Um, I, I think Jesus is meaning for us to, to see um, the dereliction of duty, not from the father, but from the, the older brother, and positioning himself almost as a cliffhanger, positioning himself, Christ himself, as the good older brother who does his job. And if, if, the par if that parable is a parable of our life, um, we're not sitting in that pigsty um, and, and thinking I'm going to go work for my, well, you know, we're sitting there thinking I'm going to go work for my dad. I can, I can earn my way back maybe and be an employee. I can be a servant. And the older brother, our, our good older brother, Jesus actually finds us. He comes looking for us. Um, uh, just like in the, in the previous two parables to the prodigal son, the, the person is seeking for the sheep and seeking for the coin. Mm -hmm. The good older brother comes and gets in that pigsty with us that's the difference between Christ and really everybody, you know, everybody else. Jesus is the older brother who does his job and everybody else is the other guy. And he'll, as he says, he'll never leave us he'll or never forsake leave us. us. Forsake us. Yeah. And we're so easy to do that with human beings or even with Jesus himself. And isn't it wonderful, Bill? This is something I talk about in the book as well. When, you know, with our human relationships, so say we have a friend that we've really invested in and really poured into, and they just kind of give us the cold shoulder or they just, you know, get distant from us. Mm -hmm. And then they reach out, say weeks go by, maybe months, maybe a year, and they give us a phone call or they shoot a text or say they drop by the house. And we're happy to see them. But isn't there a little bit like, hey, you know, where you been? You know, there's a little bit of irritation maybe mm -hmm. about how much we've done for them. I mean, this is how I, you know, I sometimes feel. I've done so much <laughs> for you and you've kind of, you know, blown me off here. And now you're showing up and you're trying to act like nothing's wrong. Well, Jesus isn't like us. We, we are so fickle. We'll go days without prayer, maybe weeks. 
uh, without really investing in 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 the spiritual disciplines, we will neglect our friendship with him. And when we finally drag ourselves into his office or show up on his doorstep, yeah. he doesn't open the door and he doesn't say, oh, my, 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 look what the cat dragged in. You know? <laughs> Who do you think you are? You're going to give me the cold shoulder? No, he opens the door and he's so happy to see us. He's he we pick up right where we left off. Mm-hmm. There's no begrudging us. There's no passive aggression with Jesus. Um, he he's not like us in that way. Um, you know, he 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 really is the friend who is e- he's more eager to hear from us than we are to speak to him. He's more eager to forgive us uh, um, than we are even to sin, and we are really eager to sin. But his grace is always at the ready, and he always stands available to us to welcome us with favor and and grace. Um, there's just no friend like Jesus. He he is the greatest friend anyone could have, which is remarkable given that he's the holiest person um, that we can know. He, he, he is the holy God of Israel, and we are such sinners. And knowing that, um, I think, makes the gospel so much more... Um, I, I, I mean, it's just awesome. <laughs> It just blows me away that this is the reality, yeah, that he loves me and, and welcomes me. Much has been said about this, uh, Jared, and is, it, it seems like more is being said about this all the time, but is the effect of, uh, of the Internet, the effect of uh, social media, the effect of the smartphone, in one sense, sort of they're one in the, all one and the same, but how in, in some ways the smartphone has replaced, our, uh, replaced people. It, we've uh, somehow friendship now is mediated through that, and I'm wondering um, to what extent has it affected our friendships, but our but even maybe our relationship with uh, the Lord. I wonder that too. I mean, I, I think there's a few things there in terms of just our interpersonal relationships. There's a couple of things it does. There's something I think a lot of us learned through COVID when we had to do so many Zoom meetings and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before COVID, there were plenty of folks kind of, you know, tinkering around with the idea of like internet church and different things like that. And I think people might have seen it as a viable option as a replacement or substitute yeah. for real in-person interaction. And what we discovered when we all had to go on Zoom for however, you know, for months and yeah. is it's not the same. It doesn't feel the same. Even if we can see each other and hear each other which is certainly an improvement over just sort of texting or, 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 you know, a phone call, even if we can see each other's face, there's, it's still not a substitute for being in the room with each other. And there, there's something, I don't want to say psychological, because I, I do think it's, it's spiritual. There's something about presence that the Lord has wired into us that, that just mediates the relationship differently. Um, so I think there's that. I also just think um, it's stunted the way we speak, um, you know, just the way we use language in in general. It's it certainly changed the way we're expected to write. So those of us who write for a living, uh, we you know we we're advised to have shorter chapters and lots of bolded subheadings and uh, to be pithier with things. And then mm-hmm. certainly, of course, the way you promote books has totally changed. Um, and all of that is sort of trying to accommodate the internet age and how it's changed the way consumers, you know, consume material and, and those sorts of things. But when we look at, um, and, you know, I'm not an expert on these things, but when we look at the effect of social media, uh, in particular on, 
Well, just the way our um, our distracted minds work, um, we're seeing a, a lot, especially with adolescents. But I don't think it's limited to adolescents. Mm -hmm. uh, we see the the spiritual harm that it's doing, the stunted social uh, acumen that it's that it's producing inside of us. And I think the distraction, the dopamine rush of the of the the likes and the hits and the traffic and all of those sorts of things, it's just a mind numbing sort of enterprise we we have the illusion of connection with other people and we have the illusion of something that's exciting and scintillating and entertaining and really what it's doing is really dulling our spiritual senses which makes it harder for us to perceive i think uh, or, or just to be sensitive to the presence of christ with us so um i'm, I'm grateful for the internet i'm grateful for the you know the benefits yeah. uh, you know of of it sure but i do think that that believer i think all people but but believers need to be especially cautious about even the way we use it for ministry that we're not um inadvertently um sort of at odds with relational connection real community presence with each other and then of course um that we're not diminishing our capacity to see the glory of christ in the scriptures um, and in good preaching of the scriptures and, and and those sorts of things. Well, Jared, you refer to this in your book, Friendship with a Friend of Sinners, The Remarkable Possibility of Closeness with Christ. You make reference to Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 21 through 23, very sobering, a couple of verses there. C can you talk about what, what, what they say? And sometimes it's not fair to just give you uh, references <laughs> like that. Well, I just want um, to read it straight. Uh, <laughs> and then what but its relevance is. Memory. Yeah, and I... And then, and then what, what the relevance is to. Sure. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. This is, Bill, to me... Um, this is just my own mileage here. It's the scariest passage mm. <laughs> in all of Scripture. Yeah. Oh, um, it is for me as someone who is devoted now, um, approaching 30 years in, in ministry, because what Jesus is saying is you can do a lot of stuff in my name and not and not actually know me. And that is so sobering to me that we have at, at the end of days, you know, Jesus is, um, you know, foretelling. There will be some who say, hey, we did all this stuff for you, Jesus. We cast out demons in your name. We, you know, uh, we, we we were super religious in your name. And it just cautions me. It, it, it reminds, you know, chastens me. It reminds me that doing things for Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus that being religious or being in ministry or even being a good writer, a good preacher, a good professor, none of that is a substitute for knowing Jesus. But it also tells me, brother, that um, if the entrance into the kingdom, which Jesus is forbidding these people who are doing all this stuff, if the entrance to the kingdom is just knowing Christ, being in a relationship with Christ, then I don't need to perform for other people um, I don't need my jobs. I mean, I need them to, you know, pay my bills and those sorts of things. But if I, if it all went away tomorrow, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. If if I could, if I lost my voice and couldn't preach anymore, if if I just, you know, lost my mind and couldn't write anymore or whatever, if I have Christ, I have everything. And those with the even the meagerest faith, if they get to the end of the road and they say, I don't know that I did all that much for you, Jesus. I tried, uh, but 
I love you and I know you and I know you love me. Um, that person's getting in because he's not claiming any kind of merit badges or, or he's, he's not, he's not reciting his resume, um, at the end. And, um, I just want to be, I want to be, um, sober minded enough to know, like, I'm not getting into heaven on my resume, um, but on the resume of Jesus. And, and that's what ultimately matters. I've got to let you go here, uh, Jared, but you make an interesting point that the closer we, uh, the more and closer we walk with him, with Jesus, the more we s- realize our own deficiencies or our distance from him. And you think, well, as I'm drawing close to him, it, it w- wouldn't work like that. But actually, can you talk about that? Why, 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 is, why does that happen? Yeah, I think it has something to do, Bill, with you as you get closer or, or just this, the experience of closeness you're getting closer to his holiness and to his glory, and which is going to illuminate more inside of the darkness in our own hearts. So certainly as I follow Jesus over time, there's going to be, you know, these victories that I experience, ground that I gain, uh, you know, by his grace, I'm, I'm able to conquer things in my life and be a better repenter. But I, in a way, I see more sin in myself and I see more weakness in myself, because the closer I get to him, the more that is now illuminated inside of myself, um, which is why I think, honestly, I think it's why um, the the marks of increasing closeness with with Jesus um, are not necessarily, um, you know, uh, you know, becoming theological giants or academically inclined giants or whatever, but it's a it's the fruit of the spirit. We become more gentle and we become more peaceful and, you know, we become more kind. And and why is that? Because the closer you get to Christ, the more humble you become, you, the more humbling it is to be in the proximity of this friend that we have. Uh, so it, 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 it's, it softens us to be uh, so close to that glory, I think. Well, if this sounds a, a, a bit mysterious, perhaps... To, to somebody listening to this, how, how does this whole friendship with Jesus begin or get started? Yeah, I, I mean, it begins as soon as you're able to say to to Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising for me. Thank you for being my friend. It begins as soon as we open up our Bible. Uh, we may not feel any particular, you know, passion or something happening, you know, um, some kind of spirit you know, Holy Spirit goosebumps or anything. Mm-hmm. But every time we open that Bible, we are, it is a burning bush moment. We are hearing the voice of God. He is speaking to us from his word. So it begins as soon as we hear his voice through his word. It begins as soon as we respond in prayer, um, just honest, heartfelt prayer, whether it's confession of sin or interceding for someone in our life, um, or, or even just asking for ourselves for for healing or for for grace or something. Um, you know, the um, help with evangelizing a friend, you know, um, all of those things. Uh, there's no silver bullet, there's no magic formula. It's the tried old and 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 true techniques uh, of the spiritual disciplines. Uh, and the primary is is that is that divine dialogue of reading your Bible um and 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 prayer and and using um those things over time, developing those muscles, those impulses over time. Like anything, you develop a habit. Uh, by consistently, um, you know, pouring in, trusting that there's an end result that you may not see in the immediate. Um, but that's, yeah, that's friendship with Jesus is you you can experience it. This very, as soon as you, you're you done listening to this, um, you know, open your Bible and, and you're hearing from God. You're hearing from your friend. He's talking to you. 
You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Jared Wilson, author of the book, Friendship with the Friend of Sinners. Jared teaches at Midwestern Seminary. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Rob Jackson on the rise of loneliness in our culture and on some biblically-based ways to address it. I mean, I think about the scripture that talks about how we can comfort others with the comfort we've received. Mm -hmm. So what is your experience in life that perhaps have left you lonely on occasions? And if you found something that has helped, if you're just 10% ahead of someone else, you can really serve them well. You don't have to be an expert. If you have just 10%, you know, on the ball, ready to go, you can be a real servant to someone else. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.